Hello, I'm Karen Pascal. I'm the Executive Director of the Henry Nouwen Society. Welcome to a new episode of Henry Nouwen, Now and Then. Our goal at the Henry Nouwen Society is to extend the rich spiritual legacy of Henry to audiences around the world. Each week, we endeavor to bring you a new interview with someone who, like Henry Nouwen, is thoughtfully and freshly exploring the concerns and issues of Christian spirituality today. We invite you to share the daily meditations and these podcasts with your friends and family. Our core purpose is to share Henry Nouwen's spiritual vision so that people can be transformed by experiencing themselves as God's beloved. Now let me introduce you to my guest today. Dr. Christina Cleveland has just published the book, God is a Black Woman. In this timely book, Christina weaves together her own personal pilgrimage and societal reckoning to dismantle the cultural white male God and uncover the sacred feminine. Christina, this is a very intense, very personal, honest, and strong book with a powerful vision. Why did you feel compelled to write this book? I wrote the book because I wish I'd had a book like that to read when I was beginning my spiritual transformation. And so much of moving out of what I had been taught about God, particularly about God's gender and God's race, ended up being something that didn't work for me. And I didn't feel like I had a lot of tools to imagine something differently. And so I went on that journey with some support by others, but certainly um, no one holding me by the hand. (laughs) And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if there had been someone to hold me by the hand. Well, I think the divine was holding me by the hand, but you know, another human being who said, hey, I've, I've walked this path before. Um, why don't you join me in imagining something different? And so that's kind of, that was my inspiration um, for writing it, sharing it with other people. Because the journey, you know, I had the journey and I could have just held it to myself, I guess. Um, but I also think there's something, um, Maybe this goes back to Jesus and just the idea that, you know, if we're really excited about something, we share it, kind of that like evangelism aspect. And this this journey so transformed my life that I couldn't help but not share it. Now, at the core of it is one word, white male God, it becomes one word. <laughs> and yeah. and I, I found that so powerful. And it, throughout the book, mm-hmm. that's their white male God. Um, mm-hmm. all lowercase yeah yeah and you low <laughs> all lowercase and you needed to take this apart because it had such a profound mm-hmm. impact on you and find um the sacred that would meet you in your certain would, would love you and would be there for you in all ways tell me about um I, I mean I I find it painful to think that God is just one sex I he's not from that's not for me but or one color. That's not for me, but tell me about why this has been so important for you and how this is, has um, infiltrated your whole experience of God. Yeah, you know, um, I'm African-American, Black woman, and I grew up in a Black family, um, but we also spent a lot of time in white church spaces, particularly evangelical church spaces, and I throughout my life received this mostly implicit, sometimes explicit in the, in the, in the photos, the photos or the images of Jesus that were often presented, 
but mostly implicit, this idea that God is white and God is male. And I learned at a very early age that if I started to question that, or if I, or if I asked any questions that undermined the inherent sort of white patriarchal hierarchy of this white male God. <laughs> so even if I just asked questions that weren't specific to God's race or gender, but just questions, I was taught, you know, to be a, an obedient and faithful Christian meant to not ever ask questions. And so even as a young girl, where I was starting to feel like in many of these church spaces, my blackness and my femaleness were not held as sacred, were, were distant from the divine, I didn't feel free to ask questions about that uh, until I was a little bit older. And then I learned very quickly, you'll be labeled a heretic, you know, you'll be labeled a rabble rouser, you'll be one of those difficult women, you'll be one of those angry black people, you know. Um, and, and so it became really important for me to understand that this broader, this broader system that was really holding us all captive really had to do with God's whiteness and God's, God's exclusive whiteness and God's exclusive maleness and how that landed on my black female body. It's interesting because um, you, in a sense, you speak very much to an American reality. It's probably a reality worldwide, although if we, if we think of, you know, uh, worshiping God in, uh, in Africa or in China or somewhere else in the world, maybe it's not as much so, but I agree with you. I remember those pictures of a blonde Jesus and, and, yeah. you know, a sense that God had been interpreted by this European um, right. yeah. myth in a way. And, and, and that was being yeah. delivered to all of us. Just to add something to that. Um, I've traveled quite a bit, including China and parts of Africa. And it's interesting that um, it's interesting how much this American ideal has been um, propped up around the world because of the way that American Christianity has so influenced the world, particularly through like worship music and through denominations spreading and, and doing missionary work. And so it was it was really fascinating for me and a little bit horrifying to be in um, one of the townships in Cape Town, a township that was um, that was predominantly um, occupied by people who are called colored there. So it's kind of like a, in between black and in between white. Um, and to see that the so-called missionaries that had come and started all these huge churches in that township were, were all white people, mostly from Australia, and were essentially preaching about this white male God. They were preaching their version of God. So you saw all these black and brown youth who had this understanding of God that was just like something you'd find in Australia or America, even though it's a township in, in Cape Town. You know? yeah. And so just even noticing how much, um, how much America has colonized the world's spiritual imagination. That's interesting. That's that. It's interesting you have that firsthand experience. I, I one thing that you're clear about in the book, obviously, your your father was a pastor, and so although you grew up in a black family, this was also not just coming to you from outside. It was coming from within your family. This mm -hmm. sense of what this God was like and what this God expected of you, and that business of not being able to question, and. Um, it put a tremendous performance responsibility on you. Is that some, that's one of the things that, yeah. that you're so mm -hmm. honest about in the book. And it, it really, I think for so many women, I, I mean, I really felt this, the, the power of that questioning that was going on inside of you. I mean, that obsession with performance is so patriarchal. 
you know, just this idea that you are what you do and your only value to us is what you can offer us in terms of what we value. (laughs) So I imagine, you know, it hurts all of us, but I imagine lots of women would experience that aspect of patriarchy. Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think absolutely that's that's the case. Now, it was funny, toward the end of your book, you told about a previous writing experience that you got bogged down in and your friend Kristen really helped you out. And I love what she wrote. And it was cute because she wrote something that I thought just kind of really in a way describes who you are. Here it is. Okay, you need to write a thousand words per day in order to meet your deadline. So every day at 5 p.m., I'm going to text you to make sure you wrote your words. You better write them. And prior to that, she said, you got this, Christina. You're the most brilliant person I know. Your work is crucial and the world needs your book. You're the only person who can write this book. But don't worry, you're not alone. I'm here every step of the way. I love that first part of that quote because I thought she really gets who you are. Did you get bogged down in this book? I felt like it it exploded out of you. I felt like there was an energy as I read it. I felt I felt it on every page. Was it hard to write this book? I'm curious. Yes, it was hard to write the book because it's such a vulnerable book. And I, I commit a lot of faux pas. Um, so I talk about my real, real trauma and pain that happened within my family, which is not something that you know, we're supposed to do. I also talk, I also talk about real trauma and pain that I've experienced in Christian organizations, which you're not supposed to do. (laughs) Um, But I also, I agree with, with you in the sense that it did explode out of me. I mean, I don't know. There was no other way. Of course I had to, of course I had to write the book. So there was that energy also like almost like um, a a fountain or a geyser that just was never going to run out of water. It was always going to be there. And it just, I just needed to let it loose or a fire hydrant or something like that, where it's just, just let this pop off or else we're going to bust up the whole street. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which I love because, you know, the book is so much about going to visit the black Madonna and the black Madonna is so closely associated with life, with light, light source, water, um, fountains, um, springs, you know? And so there's an energy about her too, which is just, um, yeah, like come and drink, come and drink of what I'm offering you. So I think maybe I got into that flow a little bit um, and was able to ride her, her wave, so to speak. <laughs> well, I, I, it's funny. I think we should tell our audience a little bit about what you did. You actually yeah. went on pilgrimage. You decided you were looking for the Black Madonna and what it would bring to you and whether there would be there a new image of God or a new understanding of God. So where did you go? And, and what was yeah. this pilgrimage? Yeah, I went um, a couple years ago to France, central France, this really rural kind of under the radar. Think Paris and then think the opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> because um, mostly small villages, mostly people who, um, they call it deep France, kind of like the deep south here in the United States. So it's yeah. just very French, not a lot of influence from other cultures. Almost everyone speaks only French. Um, almost no English. So of course, I, I don't speak any French, <laughs> but of course I was there because there were <laughs> lots of Black Madonnas in that area. And so it's this volcanic region, really mystical and magical. Um, and in that particular region that I went to in central France, which is called Auvergne, um, there are about 45 Black Madonnas that were within like about a 40 mile radius of this central city that I was living in. And so that's what drew me to that particular area. Is there are more Black Madonnas in that little 
spot than anywhere else in the world. And so I walked to 18 of them. Yeah. And it was about a little over 400 miles of walking. I went in the middle of winter, which, um, you know, as a California girl, you know, I'm, I'm born and raised California. So even though I wasn't living in California at the time, I think I still kind of think, oh, winter is just not, no big deal. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was cold <laughs> and snowy. Um, but I wanted to see these Black Madonnas face to face. You know, I had in the last couple of years awakened to the Black Madonna and she has been such a powerful antidote to that white male God. Finally, I could see a sacred black feminine image of God that has existed for thousands of years and been venerated by hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. And having grown up in Protestantism, she had been hidden away from me. And so as soon as I started learning about her and reading books, I was just, I fell in love. And then I thought, gosh, I have to go see these black Madonnas. And so of the 18 that I visited, most of them were over a thousand years old, many of them closer to 2000 years old and have been living in these teeny tiny mountain villages for years and years and years. So it was, it was incredible to show up and to be present to them um, and to expect that God would do something extraordinary in me going on that pilgrimage. And I love that as many problems there were with my childhood home and spiritual communities, um, one of the things I learned in those communities was I can expect God to do things. God isn't dead. God isn't, um, miracles didn't end in the Bible, you know, but like I can show up and say, hey, I need to be transformed. I need to be healed. I've been under, I've been burdened by this white male God my whole life. And I can see the ways in which I'm still attached to perfectionism and I'm still attached to performance. And I don't know how to speak up for myself and I don't know how to say, but I'm sacred too. <laughs> and I need you to heal me. I need you to teach me another way. And these like conversations that I had with these black Madonnas, you know, that were just kind of a flowering of my spiritual imagination were so transformative and I got to nickname most of them. <laughs> so oh, I love some of your nicknames. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like they, I feel like they're my aunties or, you know, like I just I have this special relationship. So yeah. but I, I, I'm actually really glad to hear that the conversation, not, mm -hmm. it seemed like the conversations you were having with God were only when you were with these black Madonnas, but I take it on the journey. There was yeah. conversation going on mm -hmm. and healing yeah. going on. Um, it's interesting because like in the natural, my response is, well, I think it's totally wrong to, to deliver God as being white, the white male God. It, it, I would feel left out too. I feel left out by that. I, it, but at the same time, when you turn around and say, well, God is a black woman, isn't that doing exactly the same thing? Aren't you leaving me out again? You know, although there's lovely aspects of the female aspects of God, because I feel God, there is a female God. I feel there is a God that combines male and female. He made us in his images and um, male and female, you know, and we tend to go to the he, but as far as I'm concerned, there is a feminine aspect to God as well. That's right there in the middle of it, uh, of the God I love. But when I when I see you deliver this kind of finality of God is a black woman, aren't you doing exactly the same thing? Aren't you just making it the boxes this big? Um, I don't think 
So I mean, I can see why you would think that, but for me, God as a black woman is a, an antidote to the white male God. And a white female God wouldn't be an antidote to the white male God. No, because I understand that. White, whiteness is still the problem, right? Yeah. And so I think my journey and the, the way that I assert that God is a black woman is my truth. And the, really the goal of the book is to help people get into, claim their truth and get to a point where they can say, I can name a God that I need in order for me to show up in a way that allows me to love everyone, beginning with myself. And so this book isn't exactly written for white people or men. Yeah. It's not like the book centers black women and it centers black people and it centers women. Right. And, and I think that's such an important, um, that's an important thing to note because so much of the white male God has centered whiteness and maleness that it's important for us to shift the power dynamic and say, Hey, this is actually a book for black women, for black people, for women. And the good news about that is um, whatever is good for Black women is actually good for everyone. Because we live in a world that needs to dismantle all of these systems of oppression that land on Black women and Indigenous women really harshly. But as we dismantle patriarchy, as we dismantle white supremacy, even in our spiritual imagination, we're all getting free from that. And so it's been interesting to see, you know, of course, Black women in general love the book, but it's also been really interesting to see how people of all genders and races have come to this book and said, hey, yes, it's like healing for me to see God as a Black woman, because that heals the white male God in me. Um, that, that I've inherited, you know, that in just, a, just society, whether we've spent time in churches or not, you know, but just why no God's everywhere. He's on the dollar bill, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so that, that, that's been really beautiful. And it's also been really fun for me to see um, folks saying, okay, like I was able to read your book. And now as an indigenous trans person, I'm starting to imagine what an indigenous trans God would look like and would be and what, how that God would show up in the world. And that to me is like, gosh, I couldn't have asked for anything more than that. You know, um, this, just setting people's imagination free. I really appreciate that. I really do, Christina. I, you know, in an age of gender fluidity being, being the questions all over the place, I think you have offered some really important um, I want to say advice in a way, like I, I want to say people go on this journey with Christina. If you've got these kind of questions, go on the journey. There's a lot of honesty throughout this book. That's that's something I really love. There's honesty about what happened in your life. There's honesty about where you're at now. My sense is you're the kind of person I look forward to meeting in five years time because I think it'll be something <laughs> entirely different and, and continue. You meet the, I love people who are going on, who are who are in the process of solving the things that are happening in life and are going on and have something to offer. And you do, you, you really bring us there. That's something that's really valuable in what I find in your book. And I'm very grateful for, I'm curious about something, something I love personally. I love the Bible, the word of God. I really love it. Is that now set apart, set aside for you because you only see it as the white male God or is it still a resource that you enjoy? I'm curious. Yeah, that's, a, that's such a good question. I think my relationship to the Bible is always changing. Um, I think that when I first went on this journey, 
um, because of the really constrictive and abusive spiritual environments I had been in, the Bible had mostly been used as um, a way to whip me into shape, as a way to keep me um, disconnected from my sacredness. Um, and so I think a lot of those early years of deconstructing the Bible was something that was hard for me to engage with. Um, but what's been interesting is the further I go on this journey and the more secure I become in what I call the sacred black feminine, um, the more I'm able to turn back to, to the Christian scriptures like, and, and interpret them differently and see them differently. So, I mean, there's some parts of the Bible that I think um, are difficult to reconcile in a, in it, as I'm I, in an anti, in an anti-racist sort of feminist con, um, lens, but there's some parts that are just life-giving and wonderful. And I think, um, I think there's something really patriarchal about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And so I think the more that, that was my first instinct, right? Mm -hmm. Of like, because I didn't know anything else. I'd been taught to do things the patriarchal way. Everything's black and white. Everything's binary. It's like either good or bad, or it's either <laughs> true or not, you know? But then as I've kind of healed a little bit more from some of that binary patriarchal thinking, the more I'm able to turn to scripture and say, hey, like what feels life-giving to me today? What heals me today? And then can I toss aside the parts that don't feel life-giving today and, and rely on my own inner spiritual authority to, um, to discern that? And I think my, the way that I approach scripture differently now is that I'm not expecting other people to tell me what scripture means for me. I'm allowing my own divine self to interpret what scripture means for me in that day. Uh, why do you call yourself a womanist? Help me understand that term. Uh, What's yeah, a womanist? Yeah. <laughs> um, so womanists are a segment of uh, Black women who are both feminist and anti-racist. And so uh, the womanist movement came about because many of the feminist movements were exclu excluding Black women and the issues of Black women. Um, and then a lot of the anti-racist sort of Black liberation movements were excluding Black women. And so Black women said, you know, we, we don't quite fit into the feminist box. We don't quite fit into the Black liberation box. How can we move through the world in a way that acknowledges our femaleness and also our Blackness? And so the womanist movement, you know, there are theologians, there are artists, there are, you know, it, it runs the gamut of the types of people. But in general, womanists are, are discerning what is good through the lens of how does it land on Black women. And so, and one of the things I love about womanism, is, including theological womanism, is, you know, someone like me with theological background, I was taught that, um, Theology happens outside of the body. It happens outside of lived experience. You know, I was taught systematic theology. <laughs> and these are, the, these are the tenets and these are the principles. And that's true regardless of whether it shows up in your life that way or not. Um, in fact, if it doesn't show up in your life, that means there's something wrong with your life. Um, and you need to like change who you are. Um, whereas the woman is start with the lived experience of Black women. And if it's not good news to Black women, then it's not good news. <laughs> um, and so it's, it's very much decenters um, and relocate the, the practice of discerning what God is doing and where God is. Yeah. So I can't get to be a womanist because I'm white. Um, I'm just curious. Well, 
there are intersectional white feminists okay. who actually are very much interested in, in incorporating the experiences of Black women into their work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think womanism is reserved for Black feminists. Yeah. Got it. I got it. Thank you. Thanks for that. I'm curious in your studies, did you ever at any point come across Henry now? And I'm, I'm curious if, if you've ever done any reading of Henry and if that's ever been a, a value to you. When I was in my twenties, I was involved in a spiritual community that relied a lot on Henry Nouwen's teachings. And I did a discipleship program for a whole year. And um, so we were reading excerpts and um, our sat every once a month, all day Saturday, we were in workshops. And a lot of that was based on Henry Nouwen. Um, and I'm trying to, so one of the things that I remember is the emphasis on presence and um, not performing, not doing, but actually becoming less and less um, focused on the checklist and uh, the agenda and really just showing up and seeing that as an actual ministry of just being essentially mindfulness, right? Like the term has changed now. Um, And I remember being in my 20s and going through that discipleship program for the whole year and that really starting to dismantle um, just the ways in which white patriarchy had taught me that I always have to be doing something in order to be useful. And also um, that mystical invitation to what if I just show up and I'm attentive to my breath, to my body, to what's happening in the world around me. And that was then an invitation into like, how do I be present to that and not be reactive, but just hold it. And that opened up a big question of, okay, well, if I'm just gonna hold it, then I need to be held because it's too much for me to just hold a lot of the time. And that opened up questions of who's this God that I think is holding me and maybe this God isn't really holding me, (laughs) you know? Um, But I remember uh, being in a PhD program at the time where it was very much produce, produce, produce. And then having this like invitation on Saturdays to let go of that and to start moving into contemplative practices. And another part of that program was like taking one day of the month to just go to a local monastery and read and rest. Um, And so, and so as a Protestant, with the Protestant work ethic, that was all new to me. <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I get that. Exactly. Yeah, like a breath of fresh air. You know, I struggled. You know, there's resistance at first because you're like, this can't yeah. be actually true. But then yeah. throughout the year, I was started sort of surrendering to those days and just saying like, okay, like this is a day that's sort of, an, again, an antidote to what I'm being trained up in my PhD program right now. <laughs> it, it's difficult yeah. when all your life you've been rewarded for being good and smart and gifted and all those things and clearly that's a path you've been on and it's interesting because I I, as I read through your book there was a few times that I put HN beside something you said because I thought Mm. it was constantly battling with this issue of performance you know Mm. I'm not what I do I'm not what I own and I'm not what other people say about me but those three things are such a trap what I have what I do and what others say about me, they're the, they're the big trap and being able to step yeah. back and go, I am beloved. That, that was Henry's central discovery in his own yeah. mind out of his pain. It was, I'm beloved. I'm a beloved yeah. child of God. And it's interesting because um, 
we as an organization, we're kind of saying, well, what's, what is our strategic plan? What's our most important thing? And we said, well, really it is to pass on to others. What Henry discovered that he was a beloved child of God and that each one of us is beloved. You know, what that looks like for you, what that looks like for me, the still the key word is that God really, really, really loves us. And, and the things that get in the way, the performance things, the those check marks that are, uh, you have in many ways rightly associated with the white male God, the, 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 the power of that demanding image that it was so narrow. Uh, you blow that box apart and you realize the God that loves me, loves me, black feminine me or white feminine me, God loves me. You know, that means so much to, to discover that. Um, I, I want to go back a little bit and, and just ask, because it's interesting how you talk about going away on those, that once a month uh, kind of retreat. And I'm like you, I came out of that evangelical background. So, you mm. know, discovering what it is to, discovering God's presence in a different sort of a way mm. is really quite wonderful. And I go back to your pilgrimage. I got, I got a kick out of the fact that there you are on your own. I know so many people have, who've done pilgrimages, but I didn't know anybody who did a pilgrimage like yours. I just loved yeah. it. <laughs> And, and it was interesting because I could kind of, I, I wanted to get out a map of, of France and say, okay, she was situated here and then she went here and she went here and she went here and she went all over the place. And um, I want to ask you about pilgrimage and what, what the experience is like. It's one thing to get to your goal. You always had a goal. What was it like on the journey to make the choice to walk 18 miles, yeah. you know, in yeah. the cold, uphill, all that kind of stuff. How is that part of shaping your spiritual quest? Yeah, you know, I think um, for me, it was really important to let go of the checklist and the like performance aspect of it. Part of it is because of my background with an eating disorder and obsession with my body. So like, I didn't want to make this pilgrimage about training or about losing weight, you know, which is another performance <laughs> aspect, looking a certain way so that this world will receive me and love me, <laughs> you know. Um, and so it was really important for me to let go of that. But it was also really important for me to let go of this idea that like, wow, there are 45 in this region, I need to get to all 45, because that's the only way that I'll actually be transformed, you know, which is just so patriarchal, right? I have <laughs> to do it all. Bigger is better. This like idea that, um, that is so such, such, such a part of the sort of American spiritual imagination. And so walking was a way for me to slow down. Walking was a way for me to make it about the journey and not the destination. Because my initial impulse was to just rent a car and drive to all these places. Because then I could have easily done all 45 in the five weeks that I had allotted budgeted for, right? Um, but I realized, you know, our, my, my human body was designed to go at three miles per hour. <laughs> and, um, and the vast majority across history of the pilgrims who went to visit these Black Madonnas all walked. And so I wanted to be part of that lineage and to know that, I mean, there were some old Roman roads that I was walking along that I know tens of thousands of other pilgrims to see this particular Black Madonna walk these very roads, like the exact same road. Um, and so it was a way from, I think pilgrimage for me, even though it can often be solo, it doesn't have to be, it's really about connecting to the larger human experience. It's about connecting to the self and it's about connecting to the earth. 
And I felt like walking um, enabled me to do some of those things in a really powerful way. And to really just see, again, going back to this idea of presence, you know, like I'm just going to be present. It's not about how many I get to. And, you know, even the, I ended up walking to 18, but I didn't have a specific plan. It was just, hey, I'm going to walk to this one today. I'm going to see how much time, you know, many of the walks were quite long. So then it's like, okay, I need some recovery days. So let's see how, how I feel in a couple of days. Let's see, you know, there was no, like, there, there wasn't a set um, calendar when I, I went like to. And then, and, then, and then there were some, there was the one Black Madonna, Our Lady of the Side Eye, who I didn't even know of until I got to France. So I added her, you know, but like, there were, so I couldn't have, even if I had wanted to have a calendar, I couldn't have because there were some Black Madonnas I discovered when I got there, even with all the research I had done, you know. <laughs> I, tell us about Our Lady of the Side Eye. I just love that story. I loved her. I just thought that was incredible. Can you tell a little it's bit about incredible. how you discovered her? Yeah. And Yeah. Yeah, I was actually coming back from visiting the Black Madonna of Orcival, who's an incredibly famous Black Madonna, probably one of the two most famous out of the whole 18 that I visited. And um, she's about 1100 years old. And um, people have been going to see her. But in the last 50 years or so, she's been whitened because she was restored, so-called restored. Um, and so now she's a white woman. And that was really disheartening for me for so many reasons that I go to into the book um, to walk 15 miles across, uh, you know, a mountain to get to see her and to know that she was she was a white woman now. Um, but I was after that, I thought, gosh, I really need to go see our Lady of the Good Death, who actually is not a nickname. That's her real name. Um, <laughs> and she lives in the town that I, that I live in, my little French hometown. Um, and so on the way back, I wanted to go visit Our Lady of the Good Death because she's this like super dark, like very fierce black woman, black, black Madonna. But on the way, I ran into um, an, an antique bookseller. Um, and I had walked by that books that bookstore many times but it had often been it was always closed I don't know if people who are listening um have spent much time in France but French people definitely have a really different attitude towards work than Americans and so they work way less hours and there's no guarantee they will be there when they say they're going to be there because it's it's, uh, it's just a totally it's great in a lot of ways it's great because it's um much more in, they're much more focused on like having a good life and like making more money and working themselves to death so this the store had never been open but I went in and I talked to the bookseller a little bit and um he gave me this book about the about um all these old Madonnas the books from like 1936 and I was flipping through it and I saw this black Madonna that I had never seen before <laughs> and she is um just standing tall, really dark skin, covered in regal robes, holding her Christ child. Um, and next to her in the statue is a white male priest who's kneeling towards her and her eyes, are she's side-eyeing him, kind of like, ugh, this guy. Um, and so it's just so interesting because that look on her face pretty much exemplified my entire experience in every faculty meeting at Duke Divinity School where I was a professor at the time where one of my blowhard colleagues white male colleagues was going on and on and on about something that made him feel important and you know the posturing and the back and forth between these you know these like uh, these contests that these white men would have with each other 
and I, my face was always just side eye like this is ridiculous like <laughs> all of you need to just like reduce your egos you know like stop talking <laughs> stop thinking that your way is the only way you know um stop bragging and so it's just I felt so seen I felt so so her real name is our late well her traditional name is our lady of the rock um, she's been around since about the 1100s, probably definitely was named Our Lady of the Rock in the 1300s. And um, I felt so seen by her, like all the frustration, all of the critique I have for white patriarchy, all of the dignity that I felt as a black woman was all seen in this one statue. And um, I just loved her. So I decided to go visit her, even though she was in this teeny tiny village and I'd never even heard of the village. Um, and that sent me on a whole nother wild goose chase, just getting to her. I ended up walking, I think 42 or so miles to get to her. So it was a multi-day trip. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just, those are the moments where I think there's something really magical about pilgrimage, about taking a risk. You know, I, I think we can have these amazing experiences with God at home, of course, like the God of the everyday, and there's something really mystical about that too. But I think that being on pilgrimage and putting yourself in uncomfortable positions and taking risks and really just saying like, God, I want to go on a journey with you. It's amazing what shows up, what happens when we just put ourselves out there that way. And I think um, Our Lady of the Side, I was an example of that. I never would have discovered her if I hadn't gone to France and found this old bookseller and um, been curious, you know? I love the um, fact, I, I, I forgive <laughs> me if, I, if I've missed it, but I love the fact that her side eye is to this white priest who's down. Oh, totally. You totally. know, she's, yeah, she's like, absolutely. she's not looking at the baby. She's looking at no, she's holier than thou like, little character. Totally, yeah. Feet. I mean, this whole idea of like, and who knows who that priest was in real yeah. life, right? But like, to me, it just represents the white male God, right? It represents all the ways that the institutional church teaches us that you have to be a certain way in order to be beloved by God. And she's just like, yeah, no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you, just, know, you, yeah, have, you have an great. awful lot to teach us. You really do. And I, I'm pretty excited about it. I, I did read close to the end of your book, that you were walking away from Duke. Have, did you walk away from Duke? Uh, I did. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, in this, in this way, I think maybe I can relate to Henry Nowen because, you know, you said that in his life journey, he really, he really discovered that he was beloved despite what everyone else said. Right. Um, and for me, the result of that trip, that pilgrimage was I'm sacred too. And I started to look and as I was, you know, ending my pilgrimage, I, I had a moment of reckoning where I realized, you know, Christina, you can, you've had all these transformational experiences. You can go home and write a book and almost make this pilgrimage like a time capsule, maybe even like build a theology on it that other people are invited into. That's one option. Or you can take, or you can go home and do those things and also bring the pilgrimage home with you. So everything that transformed you on this pilgrimage, you bring back home with you. And when I started, when I realized that, I, I was like, gosh, this can stay in my head or this can transform my everyday life as a black woman in America. And that idea that I'm, I'm sacred too, I can bring that back, but that's gonna challenge a lot of my relationships. It's gonna challenge my work situation. 
it's going to challenge my relationship to capitalism. And I had been doing all these speaking engagements for, for organizations that really could not hold me as sacred. And, but that, that was a paycheck, you know, and I needed <laughs> the money. And so taking that idea, I'm sacred too, and allowing it to reframe everything at home, I knew at some point I'm going to have to leave Duke because, and I'm not saying Duke is bad for everyone. I'm just saying for me, in order for me to claim my sacredness and trust that God was holding me, I needed to release myself from that situation. And it really asked the question, if I believe that God is a black woman who really thinks that I'm beloved and can relate to my experience, then can I trust that if I make a move that's good for me and my health, that God will catch me? And I think the white male God had always been unsafe to me. And I couldn't actually truly trust that God. I was taught to trust that God. I could profess trust in that God. But at the end of the day, I was always like, but he's not really gonna be there for me because he doesn't really hold my blackness and my femaleness with, with care. And when I said, okay, if I'm gonna to commit to this idea that God relates to my black female experience and knows my pain and knows my struggle and knows what I need intimately, then how's that gonna change how I live my life back at home? And what steps do I need to take? And so I, you know, I finished that pilgrimage late, at the end of 2018 and June, 2019, I quit my job at Duke. So, uh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, and that was, you know, it, it was, I, I could not, I could not have done that without having those transformational experiences with those black Madonnas. Like if I hadn't encountered these divine images of a God who looked like me and experienced the world like me, I think I would have remained trapped in that like white male God based fear that if I don't contort myself into what society wants me to be, then I'll be, I'll die. I've got to tell you, I, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you and, and rich, rich to my spirit. I'm, I'm grateful for that. And uh, the book is an important book. It's really important. But I also find myself thinking, I'm going to be watching for whatever you write, because I feel freed up and I think you're on a journey. I think you're, I think you're, you, you've jumped ship from something that was, um, for lack of a better word, had you encased and I think I think you have much to say but more than anything I think you see that you are beloved you really are God's beloved daughter child whatever and that there's healing there's healing for all parts of us this is a great book thank you very much thank you for taking time to be with me honestly I'm really impressed with you Christina really impressed I enjoyed the conversation thank you thank you thank you Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I've been talking with Dr. Christina Cleveland, author of God is a Black Woman. For more resources related to this program, click on the links on the podcast page of our website. You'll find links to anything mentioned today, as well as book suggestions. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we'd be so grateful if you would take time to give us a review or a thumbs up or pass it on to your friends and family. Thanks for listening. Until next time.